Hello and welcome to Check on the Dead, a podcast about what happens after a musician dies. From posthumous albums to creating a lasting legacy, we'll be talking about all aspects of what happens next. In every episode, I will interview a special guest to bring their insights to this topic. This week, I'm interviewing Paula Hurson. Hey Paula, how are you? I'm very well, Beth. Nice to speak to you. And you too. Can I get you to just introduce yourself and say a little bit about what you do? Yeah, of course. My name's Dr. Paula Hearson. I'm a principal lecturer at the University of Brighton in the School of Media, where I worked for a very long time. My background was as a music journalist uh, in the old days of the music press for about 10 years. And then I did about the same again online. And I've been teaching ever since I graduated myself, but moved to Brighton about 14 years ago to teach at the university in the School of Media. And my specialism is around the representations of the deaths of popular musicians in the media. And it is what I did my own PhD in. So do you have a favourite dead artist? Well, I don't like to have favourites, but I think if I looked back at where my research trajectory started, I could actually pinpoint it to the moment that Elvis Presley died. And I was not very old in 1977. I was 10 years old. And when Elvis died, my sister was a huge Elvis fan and my mum sent me upstairs to tell my sister the bad news. What I really remember, apart from my sister being really traumatised by it, was the rolling news coverage of his death. It was everywhere. There was Every time you turned on the radio, it was Elvis songs playing. Every time you turned on the telly, there were documentaries or shows or reruns of his films. And I felt really immersed in that global grief and it was it was quite profound and I, th- I think if I was tracing it back it might be to that moment of just thinking oh my goodness the impact that somebody's life and death have had on a on a world and then when I was in the music press in the early 90s Kurt Cobain died and we had a really similar experience except that I was part of the media world making commentary on the impact of that news so I'd always had an interest I guess in a personal way through this this area of study and I realised that people were not writing about it not researching about it so it's where I started my PhD and actually my own viva I was asked that very question about did I have a memory of where this all started and it would be with Elvis so I think Elvis is my favourite dead rock star. How big do you think the media's role is in determining an artist's legacy? I suppose stardom in life or posthumous is always a really complex set of interrelationships between four different aspects which would be the music itself related music industries the media in all its forms and audiences so I guess in terms of creating a thirst or desire then the media and music industries and I say that in plural in both cases can certainly be seen to capitalize on grief not just in posthumous sales of the music itself but in cultural economies so in my own lifetime I've seen this move from the death of Elvis in 1977 onwards, which we've just spoken about. But it's not, of course, uncommon for an artist to sell more music after they've died than in life anyway. So if we take Bach, Beethoven, any classical musician really from the past, but it appears to be really heightened for popular musicians, particularly if the death was unexpected. So your question is, what is the media's role in all this? Well, I suppose it would be to report on the events and sales as a phenomenon in itself. 
but it also has a role around for that to survive. So if there's a thirst, not only do they play a part with other industries to create that in the first place, but also to sustain and recycle it. So there's a real balance to play there in terms of compassion fatigue. And they also need to follow the natural play of things. So there'll be a push on coverage from the moment of a death being announced, but they also it will fade out. And then only to be reignited if there's an anniversary or, for instance, finding new material or facts about a musician who's died. And if they don't pay attention, they'll find that audiences will tire. They will get compassion fatigue or they'll become quite cynical. So at the end of the day, they, the media and uh, music industries need audiences to survive. So they have to play a part but they have to be quite cognizant and clever about what that is and when to press the buttons. You spoke about them needing to constantly post stories and obviously keep posting about it, keep the interest there. So how long after the artist's death should the media still be posting stories about them? I don't think there's a hard and fast rule. I think it is really natural for people to want to try and get a grasp of a story anyway. So when a musician dies, if you take David Bowie's death, to a whole generation of people, people knew who he was and um, had followed that life story and were had something to bring to the party. But for a whole load of new audiences, they didn't know anything about him. So they need to convey why it's important to cover the story. So they might need to go back and, and play to new audiences. So that's playing to multiple audiences at once, which is why I guess new media is, um, it's not so new anymore, but new and social media and rolling media plays a part in a very complex set of relationships where you can go in depth and on the surface. So for those um, audiences who know who knew who Barry was, then they don't need the depth particularly. But for newer audiences, they might want to delve off and go and look at back catalogues. So there's no hard and fast rules because it just depends on the death of the musician, I think. So um, why I talk about compassion fatigue is because this is not really just about um, musicians' deaths. It's how we cover death in general through the media. We take different times, not, not talking about the current situation with the COVID pandemic, but death is quite a large proportion of many news cycles. We we often cover the deaths of famous people, but we often cover wars and we cover other kinds of, of deaths. So it's not um, an uncommon feature of a news cycle anyway. I think there is something quite gratuitous if they haven't been attentive to only covering it if it's in the public interest. So they have to cover their own ethics um, properly. And perhaps that's something we can talk about in a bit. Do you think the way an artist dies obviously reflects how much they're posted about? For example, would you say if an art like Kurt Cobain and his suicide would have been posted a lot more than Frank Zappa, of who he died of the prostate cancer? Yes, I, I suppose I think why it's very heightened with popular musicians in contemporary media context. So getting away from how classical musicians' deaths were covered because they weren't so famous in their own lifetimes, I suppose is we're quite interested in salaciousness. So yesterday, I should say a date, so on April the 6th, Honor Blackman died, an actress who, who was in some of the Bond films. Um, she died in older age, um, nothing to do with the COVID pandemic. So there was no, there was coverage, but it was quite low key. But the thing about Cobain's death, I suppose, is it was an unexpected death. So whilst he may have 
spoken about really difficult issues and um, played songs about difficult issues. The manner of his death was so abrupt and so shocking and out of the ordinary. As the coverage was uncovered, it was done by fax machines, not by news and news telecasts, not by the internet. So it was quite a slow evolution of a news story. I actually remember the um, faxes coming through at the music press and having to type them up because they just knew that there'd been an ambulance, they knew there'd been a death, they didn't know much more about it. Then they, something came through about somebody having heard a gunshot. So the, the news agencies of the time were slowly building up a picture and now it's much faster. So actually to sustain that, they're probably covering more, more depth. So a really good example from recently is what it isn't a death as as we speak on April the 7th. Boris Johnson going into hospital the other evening and then coming going into ICU. That's been covered on a 24-hour cycle on the news. So there's not much to update if you're constantly putting up that story every half an hour. But for Kurt Cobain, that, that was covered by a weekly newspaper and monthly music papers or ma- monthly magazines. So there was much more to talk about month to month. So I guess the sustaining of it was longer when the media cycles were longer. With artists like, obviously, Kurt Cobain and the mental health issues, do you think the media is much more forgiving of an artist's problems? Not really problems per se, but like issues such as, or maybe even like Amy Winehouse or Elvis and his first wife met when they were four, when she was 14 and he was 24. But do you think that the media is much more forgiving of these problems after their death? Yes, I, I've written about some of this with Amy Winehouse. I, I think celebrity media in particular has been very problematic in hunting down or I've called rubbernecking around self-destructive behaviour or reckless behaviour, life in reckless behaviour. So almost looking for the car crash and they build that up and they have um, an audience that has that thirst and celebrity media is particularly true of that. Less so of the music press itself and less true of UK broadsheets but the tabloids and the celebrity magazines are looking for that downfall. So I suppose it depends on which media, which artists and what problems. You're absolutely right to distinguish between some of the artists' issues. So Kurt Cobain's death at the time, the, the shocking nature of the mode of suicide was something that was, was covered to a much greater extent than the issues behind that, so the mental health issues. But actually, the British Medical Journal did an article that covered the research around um, media portrayal of his death and said that journalists were actually quite responsible because they very quickly started putting up helplines around Kurt Cobain quite quickly afterwards. Amy Winehouse, again, you know, I, I think when when the death first occurred, they were not so hot, actually. Some of the obituaries got changed. If you look at the Guardian obituary, there was some language in there that was changed. You can see the modification on the website version. So they had to keep the original, and then they changed a line. It was about Pete Doherty, her friend Pete Doherty, and they called him a fellow junkie, and then they amended that. This is in the obituary. And then they amended it to um, something 
uh, like an addict or something. I can't remember the terms, but do have a look, look at it. So as we have learned to be more responsible. So I think the concept, you know, the academic concept we talk about is around the Werther effects, you know, and, and thinking about sensitivity as media practitioners around addictions or mental health issues or suicide, that we have a responsibility and a role to play making sure that people don't follow suit just because they're covering it and become more aware of it. So there are also socio-cultural differences, I think. For instance, where Michael Hutchinson of In Excess died um, in the UK, media were really interested in the manner of his death, whereas in Australia the coverage was much more around his mental health issues, which really reflects the differences in social values in each country. And that was you know, particularly around the manner of his death. But yeah, the very same media that are rubbernecking their downfalls before they die suddenly become more sympathetic afterwards, absolutely. And this brings, obviously, the old age question of, do you think the artist's music should be separated from their personal lives? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, I'm not a musician, but I think it would be hard to have a really clean divide. Artists, you know, of which musicians are one subsect, draw on their personal experience in terms of their creativity. And they put that in the public domain. So often that's done to resonate with an audience, otherwise it wouldn't be attractive to them. But I think there's some murky line there around the term around private lives. So if some behaviours are illegal or dangerous, then I think it's the job of law enforcement, to some extent the media, to expose that in life or death. You know, So in some ways, just to take a very different aside, Harvey Weinstein, I think it's absolutely right that the media expose his problematic past and the law steps in and makes that very public in, in terms of people in the public domain, whether they're musicians or not. So the, the challenge with artists is obviously they, some artists put some of their personal life into the public domain, but it's around what they haven't willingly put into the public domain. I don't think people should be, I think that's where the line is, unless it's illegal or harmful. With artists such as Michael Jackson and all the things that he was alleged to do to children, would you personally separate him from his music? Yeah, it's really it's really tricky. I think on a per- very personal level, I've, I find it very problematic to not distinguish, apart from when he was a kid. But I, I, I think when I look at him as a young performer, I see... I see a young kid who is in quite an abusive relationship with his own family members and that's quite difficult to see and and see that something very creative and astonishing came out of a really difficult place. I mean, you know, outside of illegal behaviours, which, I, you know, I'm okay with that being in the public domain, that's fine. You know, musicians can talk about very difficult things and sometimes we can move on as human beings by being able to articulate the inarticulate which is what music is and most most art forms are very good at doing what are your thoughts on the artist's right to privacy but the media's desire to publish stories about the artist's death about the death itself yeah like amy winehouse's and michael jackson's both their funerals were very publicized In terms of the privacy of mourning and grieving, I think both audiences and artists' families and loved ones have have rights 
to to be involved with that and to grieve in the in the right way. So I don't think the press has a right to go uninvited to a funeral that is in the private domain. Whereas I can see that fans have the need to finish off that process. A very human part of grieving is the mourning around the funeral or equivalent. So they need to do that. And that might be in an online space or a forum or with friends or by posting things. But there have been some musicians that have been very public and open in terms of their funeral arrangements. So if you take Lemmy's casting, the simulcast of his funeral, that was very much in the public domain and encouraged for people to come. There was the spectacle, obviously, of Michael Jackson's funeral and um, the event around that. And part of Elvis's as well. So they're, they're not sort of newly done, but where it was private, I don't think the press have a right to go in. I think it goes against NEJ guidelines, press association ethics. I don't mean press association, I mean PPA ethics. And that's not right. <laughs> I agree. And I think obviously, although they're doing it for the fans, ultimately, that obviously the fans will find their own way to mourn, such as George... Michael, they were leaving and still do leave the flowers at his house. Yeah, and that that's not um, that's not just about musicians, is it? That's often about people in the public domain. So, also way before your time, but when Princess Diana died, I was living in London, and I remember going past where all the flowers were laid, and it was just, the smell of it. It was absolutely astonishing. You know, it was just mountains mountains of it and I don't think I'd seen anything quite like that since I'd seen on the television the flowers around Graceland's when Elvis died. It's a very common thing to leave the flowers and as fans we, we too want to pay our respect to see they do ultimately change our lives and alter them. Yeah so you know when that happened with Amy Winehouse and the flowers and the bottles of alcohol that who were around her place around the square in Camden that was, you know, an understanding in her fan community rather than understood by everyone, I, I think. I understand that. Do you think a fan's attitude towards an artist changes after their death? I think it might alter after an artist's death and, and there's many different ways as there are numbers of people because it's a really individual experience. So if you're a fan in the first place, then you might mourn them as if you knew the artist very personally and you're grieving the end of a cultural relationship and that you won't get any more material or you might only get a limited amount if there was some uh, that had already been recorded you might grieve for what you can't have before moving into a place of acceptance and if you didn't know the artist before you and you become more interested because the media is geared up to cover such a death and explaining why that person was important or what their legacy was so it might ignite a new fandom. And for those people, I mean, they're the people that bought, say, Amy Winehouse's album after her death. Those who were fans before weren't the ones who bought the album after she died. So within that, there's a kind of hierarchy of fandom with authentic fans, and I'm air-quoting that, who might have liked the artist before and may see themselves as more superior than the newer ones. Although I certainly personally don't feel like that. I think I have become aware of artists who've already died as I you know as I learn more and more about music I mean there's more music in the world than there is time to listen to it so inevitably we will start hearing people after they've died you know I mean I'm not sure it's changed much over time in my experience apart from this like you said digitalization in music it's just made that access 
easier and quicker and it's the same in the media particularly social media where audience driven communication is so much more accessible why do you think some fans want this continued content from musicians after their death i know you spoke about the demos yeah i do think some fans want continued content from musicians even after their deaths i mean if there is material poised for release then that's really straightforward you know take barry's posthumous releases and then there's no kind of ethical dilemma about releasing it unless there's some sort of contention over ownership. I think where it becomes really problematic is where some appears unethical or not tasteful. So if you take Amy Winehouse's hologram tour that's been lauded as being very tasteless, I don't think it happened, did it? Although why that's okay and to pull that and others not, you know, like the Tupac one went ahead, Michael Jackson, Elvis hologram, Boy Orbison, you know, that's another matter for debate. But I I understand why the fans might want it. I do think it's like another area. I was thinking about the collaborative reversioning of source materials. So Billy Bragg and Wilco's musical arrangement of Woody Guthrie's Unheard Lyrics, which came out a while ago, 1998, Mermaid Avenue. I think that seems really sensitively handled in that Guthrie's daughter approached Billy Bragg to do the work. And their conception used the words, but they didn't imitate the style of Guthrie. And I think that's quite different. So that's new content based on some lyrics and done in quite a sensitive way. So I guess it's where there's contention or uh, ethical dilemmas that's problematic. So otherwise, I can really understand why fans will kind of keep wanting newer content if they can, if there's material to work with. Do you think it's ethically acceptable for the estates of these artists to use the musician's death to gain the commercial advantage? I think it can be both ethically acceptable and also morally reprehensible for the estates of artists to use musicians' deaths to maximise the commercial advantage. But there's no hard and fast rule, so it kind of depends on the estate and the will that was drawn up. So one example of it being ethically acceptable might be say this that collaboration I've just spoken of with Billy Bragg and Wilco's material you know that is ethically acceptable it's a long time after Guthrie's death daughter own the rights their approach and it was you know an artistic collaboration so I think that was okay but maybe where it goes against the legacy and intentions of the artist so there's quite an interesting story um, you might want to look up around Amy Winehouse. When she died, the CEO of Universal Music said that he'd re- destroyed her early demos for her third album so that they couldn't be abused in the future. That's quite an interesting decision that I don't know very much about, actually, but um, worth having a, a look up. Prince said, please do not release this album. And then it was, in fact, released after his death. Yeah, absolutely. I really understand people abusing what people want, uh, although I think you have to make those things very clear, legally clear afterwards. So uh, rather than a desire, you have to, you know, either destroy or, I mean, it might not have been right for the CEO to have destroyed those. It was a per- one person's decision and it wasn't the artist. So things go can go into the public domain, obviously, are depending on which country you're living in, in terms of so many years after somebody's death. But again, that happens with um, literary figures, you know, where people have finished off half-written books by authors. Um, So, and people have that desire to read more and consume more. But yeah, no, definitely there's some lines being crossed there for Prince. 
You can also talk about releases in documentaries such as Avicii's one called Tim, This the True Story, and there's Living Neverland and Amy Winehouse's Untold Stories. These obviously keep on the artist's legacy. Do you think it's important to keep releasing these? I I do quite like a good music documentary, but I have to say that the ones that have been quite tasteless, I I just wonder about the people that are broadcasting them and what their guidelines are. So some documentaries are really important to expose different a different viewpoint. So some of the artists perhaps who had more shady pasts, you might want to know that before you consume something. So artists that have had a misogynistic or sexist relationships in in real life you might want to know that before you might spend some money on them might you if you didn't know that before so I think that's okay I think it's I think that's part of a, a journalist's job is to give a rounded picture so and then it's up to you whether you want to consume it or not but the the equivalent television music documentaries that are like some sort of celebrity tabloid magazine I wouldn't buy the magazine, so I wouldn't watch the programme either. I don't think it adds anything interesting to somebody's legacy. So, But there are others. You know, if you look at the mystified, we talked about Michael Hutchins, so I think are really interesting. We gave um, another side of him that I didn't know, and that was piecing things together. It had nothing new to add, but it was piecing things together, and that was quite interesting. Left space for the audience member to make up their minds. And do you think is it acceptable for the media to exaggerate stories about dead artists when they don't have the ability to defend themselves? No, I don't think it's acceptable to exaggerate anything ever. I don't think that's uh, the media's job. Uh, certainly as somebody comes from a journalistic past, that's not our role. It's uh, A journalist's job is to show what's there and expose what's there in the in the public interest, the public's right to know, and that there's legal ramifications for that, and that's the same the media produces too. That's all the questions that I have for you. Is there anything else you would like to add to the discussion? I do quite a lot of work on obituaries in my research. That was part of my own examination of media formats, and I was quite interested in the obituary because it they're good reflections of societal values. They've been looked at in lots of different ways, but haven't been looked at in terms of popular musicians as a category. And why I like them is, one, because they were quite short. <laughs> Maybe they might have one picture and text. You know, it was quite easy to do um, critical discourse analysis on them. But also, in and in the UK, there were only really broadsheets that do them properly. But their job, I guess, is if you think about how many people outside the coronavirus uh, moment die typically every day a broadsheet newspaper physical broadsheet newspaper anyway can only really cover three obituaries a day so they have to choose out of all the people that are well known which ones their audiences really want to know so they are making a choice on someone's legacy and impact and on the whole that tends to be really positive obviously you know, when Hitler died, they probably did an obituary on him too. I don't know. But on the whole, it's them saying this person was really important. And you give a snapshot, a little life story in an obituary. And you're trying to say what impact and legacy that person had. And, you know, who they were influenced by and who they have then in turn influenced, you know, or what has changed as a result of them doing their practice, you know, for popular musicians. So 
reputation can change, can't it? So there are for lots of popular musicians who were not popular in their lifetimes, like classical musicians, like Robert Johnson, who only really became well-known after he died, thanks to people doing his recordings, and whose influence is phenomenal, you know, and his reputation is phenomenal, but not in their lifetimes. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Thank you so much for talking with me today. I think the answer has been really interesting. You're so welcome. Good luck with it. And if you're ever in Brighton, come and say hello. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Good luck. Good, thank you. Goodbye. Bye, love, bye. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a like and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. As next week, I'll be talking to art journalist Fiona Sturges. This has been Check on the Dead. See you next week. Bye.